Welcome to the Soul Sessions Podcast. Deep dive into the causes and real issues underlying addiction, codependency, emotional eating, weight concerns, and the trance of unworthiness. Tune in weekly to befriend, nourish, and heal body, feelings, mind, and soul. And now, your host, soul-centered psychotherapist, trauma expert, and mind-body eating coach, Jody Gale. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Soul Sessions with Jodie Gale podcast. Today, my guest is Nicole Burgess. Nicole is a licensed psychotherapist and leadership coach to introverted, sensitive, purpose-driven professional women. She is also the host of the Soul Filled Sisterhood podcast and founder of the Self-Care Summit, Improve Your Bottom Line and Your Personal Life. Over the last 15 years, she has coached, guided and collaborated with over a thousand women. She helps them break free from perfectionism, demote their inner critic, embrace their fears through action and grow professionally without sacrificing their personal life. As a result, they are more productive at work, have more meaningful relationships and no longer sacrifice their well-being for others. Hi, Nicole, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on today, Jody. I'm excited to be here. Oh, me too. So uh, we'll let the listeners in on a little secret, I guess, that I have been on your podcast a couple of times. So it's really great to have you on mine today. Yes, it's exciting. And so we are going to be uh, talking about when I emailed you about saying three running mates and they are the perfectionist, the inner critic and the people pleaser. But before we do, can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and what led you to working with women and perfectionism? Absolutely. So many, many, many years ago now, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I actually followed what my parents really thought was best for me and I became an accountant. And being an accountant that Yes, it's helped me with my business stuff, but then I was like, oh, I can't do this. This is just not working for me. And I later went in to become a a business analyst. And no matter which job I was in, no matter what role I played, I often had people come to me and tell me their life story, tell me about relationship issues. And finally, I'm like, okay, I know my soul is truly calling me to get training as a therapist. And so I went to grad school and became a therapist and have done that now for over 15 years. And I'm now actually um, also a coach as well. So I work with women that way. And I've, I've really, as a therapist, I have specialized more in trauma recovery but women would show up as saying they're very anxious. And as a coach, the perfectionism comes in because it gets in the way of their relationships and or their business and career. And so I find it fascinating. All these things can kind of blend together, but I'm just in different roles. And I just love helping women really break free from these things that are truly holding them back in their life. And we discovered on a previous podcast that we both mm-hmm. trained in a similar school of therapy and you studied transpersonal psychotherapy mm-hmm. and psychology. Transpersonal psychology has kind of flown under the radar a little bit. So yes. I really want to help people understand what that is. And would you say a little bit about how you came to train in that? And I think you had a bit of a move, didn't you? To I did. 
Yeah, so it's funny. I'm I'm from the Midwest here in the United States. I'm from Indiana, and there's no transpersonal school here in my state that I know of at this point. And so, again, over 15 years ago, I actually moved out west to the state of California. I was in the Bay Area, and they've got a lot of different transpersonal schools. And transpersonal is it's the mind, body, spirit meaning we see the person as a whole person. We work with the whole person. And I mean that as W-H-O-L-E and the whole person itself in a holistic approach. Mm. And it really resonated with me because I was trained in like somatic work. I was trained in cognitive work. I was trained in spiritual work. And it's blending all aspects of a person's life together of what makes them who they are and what really calls to them. It's really that deep inner work, and that's the lens that I frame everything from versus some of the other grad schools. They don't have that approach. They don't see it that way. This is really interesting because I trained in transpersonal also, and I'd actually come home to Australia in 1999, and I spent 2000 here, and then I had a decision to make around what kind of psychotherapy training I was going to do, and they didn't have it in Australia at all at Mm. that stage, so I had to make the decision around whether to go to New Zealand for the training or back to London, and I ended up going back to London. It's a big thing to get up and move state and to move Mm -hmm. to the other side of the country, I mean, why? Why bother doing that? You know, you talk about these being soul sessions, right? And I, for me, that I fully believe that. I didn't necessarily maybe have the name back then, but I knew in my depth, I knew in my core and my heart that I felt like I was coming home. Mm. So it's funny, when I went out to California, I had a, a friend of mine and he went out there with me and we were taking kind of a little vacation. And then we stopped at a couple grad schools and he really liked a more traditional kind of school that we had visited. And I was like, this is like an undergrad school for me. It's just very mm. traditional and just blah. And so when we visited the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology, which is now called Sophie, Sophia mm-hmm. University, I'm like this. I mean, I literally, when I walked onto their small little campus, it was very calming. It was very inviting. And what happens in the school I went to, we moved with a cohort and it was a small cohort and people from all over the country. And also there's different international students there too. And it Mm. was so lovely. And I truly did. I felt like I was coming home for the very first time. Mm. And that helped me open up to be more of me. And I'm so incredibly grateful for that experience and Mm. how it transformed me. I think you're touching on something really important in terms of uh, for people who do train as a therapist. There is something very unique about this style of training and it's uh, very, very different. I mean, I'd done an introduction to psychology and an introduction to social work and they were both at universities and I kind of had that same, yep, no, this isn't me. (laughs) And then I found myself at the place that I studied transpersonal. It was like, oh, I've come home. I'm home. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like the more traditional universities, they're more heady for Mm. lack of a better way of explaining Mm -hmm. it. And we're transpersonal. It's very much in your body. It's an embodied space to be where you're connecting both your head and your heart and really what your inner wisdom is bringing forward. And it's just full acceptance of that and allowing that to be shown to come forward. 
Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. And it's interesting because I, I keep ending up on Sophia University's website. They have a PhD in uh, transpersonal psychology. <laughs> I think, no, what are you doing? Close the page down. <laughs> but um, just over the years have just somehow ended up, I think they might have done, did they do a women's, I wonder if they did a women's psychology there at, at some point. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it. I know they, yeah, they branch into like somatic, yeah. uh, I think somatic certifications, transpersonal, and also women's studies. There's different yeah. aspects there. Yeah. And I, I've got, you know, certified in creative expression therapy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. All kinds of fun stuff there. Yeah. Good. Okay. So let's sort of shift gear a little bit. We're going to get onto the topic for today. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was first in therapy, I arrived at my therapy session and mm-hmm. I think I'd been going for a couple of months or something. And my therapist had written the words people pleaser on this large piece of paper. And we began to explore that. And over time I discovered that not only did I have a people pleaser, but I also had a perfectionist and I also had a very strong inner critic. And these were completely new concepts to me. So would you just share with our audience, first of all, what, and I guess in the psychotherapy that I'm trained in, we call them parts. So would you share what these parts might sound like, how you differentiate them? So the critic, the perfectionist and the people pleaser. Absolutely. And I'm giggling a little bit because I'm literally imagining you sitting there and those three parts coming forward like, "Ah, wait, no, that's mine. No, that's mine. (laughs) And they have their own little battle going on. Yeah, they were really in battle. (laughs) Yeah. So for the inner critic, especially if you have had a traumatic background, meaning physical abuse, emotional abuse, emotional neglect, Mm. any of those type of things. Again, this is kind of my lens that I'm coming from. That inner critic comes in is somehow you are constantly just lacking. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you're thinking or you don't know what you're doing. You're constantly stinking, sucking at anything that you do and think. So I know for me, my little inner critic, when she comes out, she's like, well, you just suck. You just totally made a big mistake. Why would you do that? Oh my gosh, you should know better. Again, the Mm -hmm. shoulds, right? And it's not the case. So I know you work a lot with women who struggle with more of the food, and eating disorders and or eating issues. And Mm. that can come up in the sense of just like, oh my gosh, why did you have that again? You know better than that. You're just so stupid. Why would you do that? Mm. It can be really, really harsh. And basically it's like this shaming thing that can come on and somehow you ought to know something, even though you may have never heard it that way or you don't know anything differently, but that part can be really mean. And actually, just to put in there that the most people I know that come with eating issues have also got a trauma background. So that yes. really fits for, for me and my audience as well. So yeah, yeah sorry to interrupt there. So keep, no, no, keep going. You're fine. <laughs> well, then your perfectionist parent, she'll pop for and she'll be like, oh my gosh, again, why don't you know this? This is awful. Because she's so afraid of what other people are going to think of her. Mm. And so when she comes forward, she is worried about making sure she's done every little thing right. I mean, it's got to be perfect. Otherwise, again, she sucks. And she may be really afraid of trying something new because mm. she can't do it perfectly. She's not going to do it, you know, just specifically well. So if if you go on like a, like a nutrition plan mm. and all of a sudden you, again, I don't know, you mess up, you have a brownie and mm. she may come out like, oh, see, you just, you all or nothing thinking you can't ever do any of this right. 
So she gets stuck in the very black, white, all or nothing thinking the extremes for what's going on. And there's no like in between, like sometimes I have this, sometimes I don't. And then if your people pleaser wants to come out, she wants to play too, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. And so there may be some of this, I'm going to say yes to whatever I need to. And even though I really want to say no, and especially if you've come from a trauma background, you want to avoid the conflicts. You want to do whatever you can to make peace at all costs. And that costs us often to yourself. And so boundaries get crossed. You say things that you don't really want to say or that you mean. And so your own inner resentment will start to come up because you haven't said, no, that doesn't work for me. Or, you know what? I'm okay, but no, I'm not going to do that at this point in time. Mm. So those three together, it's like this perfect, lovely little storm of keeping you really stuck in your life and how you're less than or you're lacking when it's so not true. You know, it keeps coming to mind as you're talking. Did you ever watch Desperate Housewives? Bits and pieces of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. So Brie Vanderkamp, which is one of my sub-personalities. She's a redhead one. She kind of, for anyone listening, the minute I say that, you will know exactly that she's very much, everything is about the critic, the perfectionist, Mm -hmm. and the people pleaser. And she kind of puts on this facade to the outside world where she's perfect like perfect hair perfect outfit and she's very people pleasing she'll turn up at the neighbors with a bunch of freshly cooked muffins but behind closed doors she's an absolute wreck because she doesn't know how to say no to others and she's very critical of herself and you know the whole family's sort of falling to pieces basically so Mm -hmm. and that kind of you know that sort of inner dysfunctional family I guess is yeah and so I heard you in another interview and you talked about that when someone is self-critical or caught in perfectionism or people-pleasing, that -hmm. the person has thoughts or tells themselves stories, just like in the previous examples, Mm -hmm. they become over-identified with the thoughts and the stories and believe them to be true. And I guess I want to say it's, it doesn't feel like a part. It feels like all of who they are. Mm -hmm. And can you help our listeners understand, I guess, where these inner thoughts and stories and identifications come from? So from your perspective. Yeah. So like, again, from that lens of the trauma, from Mm. trauma lens, there is often like we learn these things when we're really, really young, right? It may become like conditional love. If you do this, then I'll show you affection. I'll I'll give you a hug. It Mm. may be like, if you do this, you know, then I can give you, I don't know, a reward for something or other. So oftentimes that's taught from a very, very young age. And then we bring that forward into our adulthood and that old way of thinking actually no longer serves us because we're not this defenseless, helpless child kind of stuck in these circumstances. We're now an adult but we're still thinking and behaving in that same way. So from that childhood experience or a cultural experience Mm -hmm. or a community even experience, all those things play into what shapes your thinking, what shapes your kind of mindset in a lot of ways. And when it's distorted that way, or it's those extremes, very black and white thinking, all or nothing, always, never, or catastrophize it. If one thing happens for it's going to be this way forever kind of thing that gets stuck. And I often remind women that I'm working with either, whether it's a therapist or a coach, it's like, just because you have a thought doesn't make it true. And it's really starting to challenge those thoughts, challenge those stories, but you have to start with that awareness of what is that about? Why am I saying if I have a brownie, then I, I suck. 
I can never, ever, you know, get on a healthy space in my diet. I can't ever change that. It's like, how is that true? What makes that true? Where is that coming from? Where's the evidence to back it up? So would you say a little bit more than, I mean, you've mentioned briefly there that, you know, it can be caused by a trauma background, but Mm -hmm. would you help people listening? What does that really look like in terms of how these voices are internalized? Yeah. So think if you're coming like from, let's say you were growing up and your parent or your caregiver said, oh my gosh, you just made me so mad. How could you do that to me? Mm-hmm. Somehow now they're making you responsible for their emotional well-being, which is mm-hmm. not your responsibility. If they say, you know, well, if, if they come from an abuse background, it's like, well, you made me hit you. You made me do this. Again, nope. That's your anger. You decided to actually mm-hmm. act out on that anger. I didn't cause that. But as a kid, you're like, you're confused. You don't know anything different. And so that's it. Or if you had a message from somebody who said, oh my gosh, I've got to lose weight. I've got to look a certain mm-hmm. way and make everybody think that well, I'm good. I'm good. And so I'm restricting what I'm eating so that I look good for everybody else. Now I'm looking as like, oh, my body shape, my body size is somehow not okay. Mm. I'm here to make sure everybody else likes what I look like. I'm not allowed to like what I look like, right? So all these subtle messages that can actually come from those who are raising you or those that you're around. Girls are supposed to look this way. Boys are supposed Mm -hmm. to look that way. And I'm thinking too, with the people pleaser, when we're talking about little girls, it's quite a, it's quite a little girl. I mean, look, guys do do it as well, but it is quite a little girl thing to do, isn't it? It's Mm -hmm. women are taught to please and caretake others and. Yep. And so it's how you look, how you dress, wearing makeup, not wearing makeup, the kind of clothes you wear, all that sort of stuff that it gets reinforced. So then as an adult, all of a sudden it's like, I don't know who I am, but I know more about you than I do me. And I was just thinking, we use the term um, identification a couple of times. So I might just come back to that. And from your perspective, when we talk about being over-identified with these parts, just so that our listeners who, um, you know, so we're not using too much therapy sort of jargon, I guess, Mm -hmm. what does that actually mean, being over-identified or being identified with these parts? What comes up for me when you say that is I imagine somebody that's in acting and they literally like take on a role. They become that person that they're going to play the part of. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, I'm going to put on the clothing and I call it like your step into that skin, Mm -hmm. zip it up. And it's like, oh, I'm now become that inner critic. I now become that perfectionist. I now become that people pleaser. And that's the only thing that I am. And it's like, no, 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 no. As Jody and I were talking about, it's like, that's a part of you, but that's not the whole of you. And I think this is really, really important. It's a part of you, but it's not all of you. Mm-hmm. Who is the other part then for people? So if it's not all of who they are, if we're not just a people pleaser, a perfectionist and an a inner critic, I guess when we are looking to help women heal from this stuff who are we trying to help them heal towards I guess call it like the the higher level self yeah right it's that to me I still go back to it's your soul it's that larger part of you it's the higher level self where you're coming from a place of true calm you're coming from a place of more it's like the wisdom part 
And when that part of you, that higher level part of you, it's not looking out to people please anybody. It's not looking to taking responsibility for other people's emotions or behaviors. It's coming from a very embodied, calm, grounded state and observes people, observes what's going on and makes decisions and choices from a place of, I love who I am and I'm okay with who I am. So I guess a really good question then is how do women begin to identify with this part and foster this part or this um, wholeness, I guess we're talking about. From your perspective, how do they begin to do that? I think part of what you and I have been talking about from the beginning, right, is starting to pay attention to what am I telling myself? We have so many automatic thoughts day in, day out, and most of the time it's all repetitive thinking. And until we start to draw our awareness to how do I talk to myself? Am I kind to myself? What do I say when I make mistakes? When I start to raise my level of awareness, now I have more power to start to shift that, Mm -hmm. to start to challenge that, to think differently. And then my second part to that is when I start to recognize like, man, oh man, do I like to beat myself up or think I need to know more than I am? Now I get to say, wow, I even forgive myself for even thinking I need to know it differently Mm -hmm. and start to have some self-compassion, you know? So like Kirsten Neff, Dr. Kirsten Neff, she talks Mm -hmm. about that in her book, right? Self-compassion. And for some of the women that I work with, it's like, how do you talk to your best friend? If she makes a mistake, if she flubs something up, you know, and a lot of the women are like, oh yeah, I know I could say this, but I just, I can't imagine myself being a best friend to myself. So I'm like, great. Take a five-year-old version of yourself. How would you talk to her? Would you be angry and yelling at her if she had that brownie when she didn't need to, when she wasn't actually hungry? Mm. But she wasn't just wanting to enjoy a chunk of chocolate for the moment. Mm. No, I would never talk to her that way. I'm like, great. Then get a picture of yourself at that age and have compassion towards her. Begin to build that self-compassion. Begin to build your own resilience of being able to kind of observe more of your thinking versus attach to those thoughts as if they are all truth. Mm. I think I saw in another interview that you did, you talked about building your own inner coach, or I guess Mm -hmm. we could say inner therapist or even a healthy self. Would you just say a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I've actually heard this from somebody else in a a book I had read, and I honestly can't tell you who that was from, but I loved the way they talked about it. It's like flipping it. Mm -hmm. So again, when my inner critic, when she comes out and I mean, she's blasting me all over, I'm like, okay, girl, thank you so much for telling me all the things I did wrong. But unless you have something helpful a solution, a way of looking at this as an opportunity, you truly need to take a backseat and be quiet. Mm. So my inner coach is like, Hey, you know, when you did X, Y, and Z, it probably wasn't the best way to manage that. What if we did this the next time around? And all of a sudden now there's a little shift where I can see it's like, Ooh, okay. Maybe I could have managed that differently, but I'm even going to think about, I'm probably going to have another opportunity to do that differently and, or I could even go back to the source if I needed to rectify something and have a conversation again, that it doesn't become this all or nothing. Like I've totally screwed up. Everything is damaged. Nothing is ever going to go work again, blah, blah, blah. Or it's like, there's an ebb and flow and it's like, Hey, you did the best with what you knew at the moment. We can keep improving if we need to. Yeah, it's a really good point. And just something you've brought up a few times around black and white thinking. And I think you used 
just for the audience, uh, what Nicole's talking about are cognitive distortions, mm -hmm. I think they're called in um, yes. cognitive behavioural therapy, aren't they? Mm -hmm. And so what I might do is link in the show notes. I think there's a, there's a list of about eight or 10 of those, I think, isn't there? That Depending on who you go through, there can be eight, there could be 12, there could be 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I guess it depends how harsh your inner critic is. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I know when I look at the list, I kind of tick off. Um, all of them, you know, in terms of catastrophizing and black and white thinking, and yep, yep. yeah, there's certainly a lot going on on there. In there, so yeah. So when we're building that inner coach or that inner therapist, where or the healthy self, whatever you want to call that healthy part, we're beginning to live a more authentic life, aren't we? Because those other parts have been, I think you said, you know, that we've internalized those from our environment and often a trauma history. So I guess as we start to heal from that, what does, I guess, living more authentically look like? So like what we we're talking about, when you start to catch yourself doing these things, you start to, again, have first and foremost, that compassion for yourself, because then you also build more compassion for others. When you actually like yourself, you allow then more joy to come in. You allow that when you make mistakes, that's all they are is mistakes or learning opportunities. They don't become all or nothing. They don't become like, well, this is my permanent story. I'm a forever screw up. Mm. It's like, no, that's how we learn. We are going to fumble. I mean, whenever you are taking risk, when you're facing a fear, it's you're taking a risk. Sometimes you're going to get things really done well, <laughs> mm, you're yep, going to yep. really mess it up. And that's part of being a human. We're just messy. And that's really important because I think people with a trauma history, they've, they, they haven't been often allowed to be messy, especially where there's a lot of those internalized. They've become a perfectionist. Messy equals shame a lot of the time, yes. I think. And yep. if they make a mistake, it's shameful. So you've talked about self-compassion and if we think about practical suggestions or resources for women at home who maybe aren't in therapy or, or, or those who are and are doing their work at home as well, how do people begin to work with this stuff? So we've talked about self-compassion. Yeah. So there's a few things. Mm -hmm. The other, another book I would recommend is Gift of Imperfection by Brene uh -huh. Brown. Yep. She talks quite a bit about the shame spirals and things like that. But I would also encourage women like get your journals out, get your diaries out, whatever you want to call those things and start to write down. What are you really telling yourself? One exercise that I give my clients often is if they've got, I don't know, there's a specific weight number they're trying to get to, and then they are beating themselves up because they're not there yet, or how they are dealing with a relationship or something. I'm like, write down what you're telling yourself. Like you have the event, begin to like write down, here's all my thoughts about that event. Here's how I felt about that event in that moment. And then here's what I wanted. Cause then we can turn it into, we, I use the awareness wheel. We can turn that into assertive communication, but until I know my own thoughts, until I slow the story down, mm -hmm. put it out on paper. I also tell them like, then put that piece of paper down and actually literally step back from it. Begin to get a little distance from all those thoughts, begin to shift that perspective a little bit. That's one way you can do it. Meditating is also another way I think can help women tap back into their soul, tap back into that higher self, tap back into that inner wisdom. And when you're sitting there, yes, you're going to have a lot of inner chatter going on. And it's just, let me practice observing the thoughts. Everything we do in life is a practice mm. <laughs> from our communications to self-compassion. Everything is a practice. 
And when I'm meditating and those stories are going through my mind or the racing thoughts are going through my mind about how I did that incorrectly wrong, I'm bad, whatever. I'm like, wow. So that's what I'm telling myself right now. And when I breathe into that, I'm back into my body. And then what is my soul really telling me in that moment? What's the other piece of wisdom that may be able to come forward because I'm allowing myself just to be open to hearing Mm -hmm. what that may be. Those are some of the things that I do with the clients that I work with, asking them lots of different questions so they can get quiet and work through them. One of my therapists used to say to me, it's a practice, not a perfect Exactly. (laughs) And I used to love that. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's progress over perfection. It's those small little steps to get you more back to, or get you more in touch with who you truly are at the core level. You mentioned observing, the observer or observing. Can you just say a little bit more about that? I mean, it is becoming more popular with mindfulness and everything, but Mm -hmm. just in case people want to know a bit more. If we want to kind of stick with what we've talked about with our parts, right? We've got a part of us who that part can come forward and observe the actual event that has happened instead of attaching to needing to fix it, needing to rescue, needing to change it, any of that sort of stuff, that observer just watches what is going on. So, and I'll talk and I'll come back to observing thoughts. So if you're out and taking a walk, that's, you can do a walking meditation, right? Mm-hmm. And when I'm out there and I'm, I'm looking at right now, we're in the fall here um, where I'm at. And so if I'm out taking a walk, like I was doing yesterday, I'm hiking, I'm observing the sounds. I'm observing the sights. I'm observing the colors without judgment, without attaching myself to anything that my thoughts are trying to, to tell me to attach to. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking. So we do that in all aspects of our life. And going back to observing my own thoughts, it's like, let's say I saw this tree and it had beautiful oranges on it. I'm like, oh, wow. So that tree is really orange and I know it would do this and this. And I wonder what would happen. And all of a sudden I got this extra chatter going on Mm -hmm. versus just noticing there's a tree and the colors I associate with it are orange. That is it. I'm not making it right, wrong, indifferent. It is what it is. So I'm going to throw a spanner in the works there and say, you've been on your hike yesterday Mm -hmm. and you're observing And then all of a sudden it starts to pour with rain and it all becomes very traumatic and (laughs) it's just luckily it didn't happen that way yesterday. Yes. It's turned to shit. And I'm just thinking about back when I was first in therapy, thinking as if I'm just going to observe that. What would you say to people when things start to go wrong, I guess? And we're talking about having that capacity to observe. Yeah. So there would be an example, right? You, you, the odds are, so if I'm in that situation, I'm like, oh my gosh, this sucks. Why did it start to rain? I just was having a beautiful bubble, right? And that part, she's going to come forward and she's going to make it wrong. Instead yeah. of just going, wow, it is now raining and I am getting wet and maybe the temperature has dropped. You know, she's somehow making the situation wrong versus it is what it is. Mm. It's not happening to me. I'm experiencing it. Yeah. And I think this is really important because often people who are caught in these parts and where there's been a trauma history, mm-hmm. we, and I say we, because I have always also been in this place, it's almost like life happens to us all the time. Yeah. And it's really important to realize that we do have that capacity for choice mm-hmm. and to be able to take a step back in that healthy self or the soul self or that observing self. So they're all kind of the same sort of part there, aren't they? Yes. Yes. 
And I just want to say, actually, for anyone who hasn't heard it, episode two is actually a guided visualization about getting in touch with this observing self. So if you want to go back and uh, listen to that, do feel free to do that. So I guess a lot of people are thinking to, you know, if we're thinking about, because these aren't the only parts that get into trouble, I guess too, I don't want to make them bad either because, you know, 80s sort of rehab was very much the victim, the rescuer, the perpetrator. And it was, Mm -hmm. it was kind of like, let's get rid of these parts. What would you say about that in terms of these parts? I mean, they're troublesome, but yeah, what would you say about that? they helped you get to where you are today, right? So when my clients are like, oh, I just want to make that go away. And I'm like, but no, that part helped you stay alive. That part helped you make it through those traumatic things. Yeah. And so it's just recognize we just don't need those parts to run the show, to run life. We need them because they like to throw out like, hey, 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 caution, 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 (laughs) you know, flag come out here. We got to be concerned. Versus, oh, that's how I direct my life is through that lens or through that part. Mm. And I find too, whenever I'm going into sort of people pleasing or or rescuing or caretaking, Mm. I'm usually feeling really insecure in that moment. And all that old sort of low self-worth sort of stuff's Mm -hmm. gone. I remember starting when the kids started at school, you know, it was almost like going back to school myself and Uh I'll do the canteen and I'll do PNC and I'll do this and I'll do that. And then it was like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) And I remember my mum saying to me, whatever you do, don't tell them you can sew. Just otherwise, yeah, you'll be extremely, extremely busier than what you already are. I know, and, and, and extremely popular, but that's kind of it, isn't it? It's like, oh, yeah. if, I, if I do this for you, then maybe you might like me. It, that All that sort of stuff gets stirred up often, you know, so, mm-hmm. but, and, and I really, you know, when you talk about being compassionate, that it's just so important to come back to compassion when you do get these parts sort of getting stirred up. Yeah, absolutely. And like what you're just saying too, that great example you just gave, it's getting curious about what's driving me to say yes to this. Yeah. What's driving me to caretake somebody else. And when we get curious with it, then that's where, again, that inner exploration, we can start to really go there and open up. It's not judging what's coming up. It's just getting curious about what's coming up and why. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of women, if they've been caught in self-criticism for a long time, perfectionism, people-pleasing, they're probably thinking, if I stop all of the above, I guess these are some of the objections and worries that I hear a lot in the therapy room. And so I'm imagining that people listening are probably thinking them too. So let me just run through a few. And if you could, I guess, give me a response at the end. So A lot of people might be saying, if I focus on me, I feel like I'm being self-indulgent. I feel like if I say no, then the other person won't like or love me anymore. Um, I feel selfish asking for what I need. If I'm I'm a good person, I like doing things for others. What's wrong with that? Uh, I'm too busy for therapy. I'm too busy being perfect or doing things out there for therapy. I feel like I'm being too needy. Uh, I don't deserve to put myself first. Um, and if we, I guess if we look at sort of weight issues, you know, if I'm not the perfect size zero, then no one will love me. And if my diet isn't perfect, I feel like a failure. Uh, plus, 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 plus. We could go on forever with these statements. Bearing all this in mind, how would you address these worries and concerns? I'd go back to what you and I've been talking about is first, are you recognizing that 
those thoughts are popping up for you and that you're catching yourself at that. The reality is as we evolve, as we really tap back into that observer, that soul, that higher self, you may lose people in your life. They may not like who you're evolving into and that's Mm. their stuff. I call that like, that's their side of the fence, not your side of the fence. And it's not your job to make people comfortable with that. It's just, it's not. And as we evolve, we start to set our own boundaries, our own limits, and we will lose friendships. We will lose relationships. It's just, that is part of it. And that's okay. Grieve those losses and keep moving forward. Keep doing your evolution. That's your own spiritual journey. You know, you can also love people through detachment. So you Mm -hmm. don't get stuck in their story right? And it's okay for you to take up space. I think that's one of the core things I'm finding out with women that caretaking, people pleasing, it's like they shrink, right? They stay very stuck, very small. Mm. And it's like, I want you to stand up straight. I want you to put those shoulders back. I literally want you to take up space. It's okay. You have a right just as the other person does. Mm. You're not less than, you're equal to. And this, this is really important for people with eating issues because they often use their body as a way of not taking space, you know, if we think uh-huh. about anorexia and certainly with, with people, who, you know, who binge eat and who are in a big body, can, it can often be the only way they can, again, either not take space or take space in the world. Because it, it, think about it. It's like when you start to, I call it sometimes laying the mask down, mm. people now get to see you, all of you. And what a beautiful gift that is because it's also you, you give to them, but you're giving back to yourself. So that becomes the beautiful beautiful, for lack of a better phrase, love cycle. It's like when I actually like myself and love myself, I can be completely present and truly give from a heart place versus a fear place. That's why I like to say, are you being fear driven or soul led in the work that I do? Yeah. And I guess I just want to say, I want to come back to when I was first in therapy, I joked with my therapist because I was, it was the early nineties and I used to um, wear like combat trousers and, Mm -hmm. and I used to joke that I'd even wear combat undies if I could, because I was just so angry and, you know, like foot was always swinging and, you know, I had my big sort of Spice Girl boots on and, (laughs) and I'm thinking now, as you're saying this, so if anyone's back there where I was, all this self-love, self-compassion, like it's all very I don't know sounds nice but you're flipping me off (laughs) yeah exactly I'm thinking oh for fuck's sake that just sounds so cliched or Mm -hmm. I mean I guess what would you say to this person what would would say say, this person stick with that get curious about so if you're gonna flip me off and say for fuck's (laughs) sake like ooh, so what is that really about what part's coming forward right now who Mm -hmm. needs to have a voice what is she telling you (laughs) yeah How is she keeping you safe? Yeah. Yeah, that's you giving yourself permission to be right where you are. We're not making that part wrong. We're not trying to make her go away. But I want to understand her more so that I can actually integrate her so she doesn't need to feel like she's got to combat the whole world because the Mm -hmm. whole world's not against her. That's really beautiful. I think that's, you know, that's really, really important. And just because someone is stuck in that place or acting in that way, certainly as a therapist, I don't give up on the self-compassion and the, and the love and the care. And it's, you know, I, I know I said this to you and when you interviewed me, part of my work is about loving this person back, back to health and, and loving them yes. to bits until they are able to 
do that for themselves. And I, I guess this leads us into, you know, in terms of working with women, whether it's in therapy or in coaching, mm-hmm. what can women expect? I guess if they were to come to work with you and you're working with these parts, what, mm-hmm. what can they expect out of coaching with you? So in the coaching aspect of it, you know, I will often Again, I really, I love questions. Again, I know that's part of my training as a therapist, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I come from this place of pure curiosity because curiosity, I think, does bring the compassion. And so if they're bumping up against something with me about they're struggling in a part of their relationship or their business or career piece of it, and they're like, I know, Nicole, that's not going to work for me. I'm like, ooh, so tell me more about that. (laughs) How does that not going to work? Tell me exactly how that's not going to work, right? And there's no judgment with it. I really want to raise the awareness of, wow, those thoughts that I'm having when I let that part really rule everything, I stay stuck. I stay small. Mm. And it's like this fear of allowing myself to shine. It's the fear of allowing myself to step into more of who I really am versus trying to put this kind of show or mask or whatever on for the world that I've got all my crap together when I really don't. Everybody's, Mm. you know, messy at times. And so it's just like, bring it on. Let's do this. Have you heard the expression repression of the sublime? Ooh, I have not. I'll link to it in the show notes. It just reminded me of that as you were talking around standing in our light and letting ourselves shine. In uh, psychosynthesis, we talk about how we repress the painful sort of feelings, but we also repress our joy and our light and our love and our compassion and all those kind of things. And I hear you talking about allowing oneself to step into that and to own it, I guess, is what you're talking about. Absolutely, because I'm thinking, to me, it's like, the world is missing out on the beauty you have. And that beauty starts from within. And I'm not talking the physical appearance at all. Yes. I mean, it's the, it's the incredible intellect, joy, compassion, all that stuff that makes you, you come mm. forward. Let us see her. Yeah, that's beautiful. If someone is really, really stuck, I guess when I was in that, place of not really knowing that my whole eating issue was around really around early childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. I think at the core, one believes that, you know, I mean, I know myself, I believe that I was absolutely rotten at the core. So why would I mm. want to come forward and let you see me? And I get that's really, really scary. And that just breaks my heart that you even had that thought, that younger version of you that you're rotten at the core. I have this belief system and I share this with my clinical clients. I think there's a very small percentage of people who are rotten at the core and I call them the sociopaths. And I think that's a much smaller percentage of of our world population than somebody who has struggled with an eating disorder or trauma. You're beautiful at the core and it's being able to trust that no matter whether the other person on the outside likes it or not, it honestly doesn't matter, Mm. but you matter. It's you trusting your own process. I really want you to say that again for the women listening. You said you matter. And I think that is so important. You do matter. And no matter what your old, I'm going to say this, your old story was, that Mm -hmm. doesn't need to define you for the rest of your life. You are enough. I don't believe people are broken. I think they've been battered and bruised. And I think there's been pieces, but it's like, there was an example I had heard years and years ago, and it stuck with me because I'm also um, creative. And so it's like taking a vase 
And mm-hmm. that vase shatters and it's like let, let your, letting your old story shatter. You can take all those pieces and you can glue it back together and you can make a beautiful mosaic. Mm-hmm. And as you know, all pieces are being used. All pieces are coming back together, mm-hmm. but now you form something very different and that's you coming forward. That's your true soul coming through and that's it. We get to evolve. We get to shape differently, change different things because we have a choice in this. Yeah, you're right. Um, the term used for that is called uh, kintsugi. Do you know the term? I do not. Okay. It's interesting that you brought that story in because when I was doing my new website, the soulcenter.online, I actually bought kintsugi.online. That's a Japanese art of having things break and then they glue it back together with gold. Beautiful. I love it. Yeah. So once again, we're in alignment. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So look, I think this is a really beautiful place to end. I guess I want to say that again for whoever's listening, you matter. Mm -hmm. And that's true because Nicole says so. (laughs) (laughs) And look, I know you've got, I think you've got a free ebook. Yeah, it's just a little, what do I want to say, like an email about uh-huh. perfectionism, 10 signs that you might be a perfectionist. And they can find that if they go out to NicoleBurgessCoaching.com forward slash perfectionist. And then they'll get some other emails that follow up with that. But help raise the awareness because oftentimes women don't even recognize that mm. they're showing some of those behaviors of a perfectionist. They're like, I'm not a perfectionist. And they read it and they're like, oh, oh I am doing those things. So these could be helpful. Yeah. And because it's so ingrained, isn't it? And it's, Mm -hmm. it's, you don't realize that it's just a part of who you are. I think it comes back to that conversation around not not realizing that it's it's just a part, but also, and so where do people find your wonderful podcast? They can go out to the website as well under NicoleBurgessCoaching.com mm-hmm. and they can find the Soul Filled Sisterhood podcast or they can go out to iTunes or any other podcast player and uh, listen there. Perfect. Okay. So I will add all that to the show notes for everyone. So thank you so much for coming today and talking about this. I think people are really going to find lots of sort of nuggets of wisdom in there around the different parts and at least get them to start thinking around maybe that's a people pleaser or maybe that's a perfectionist. So thank you so much for having me on Jody. I just love the conversation. Okay. Thanks for coming. This is episode eight. For the show notes, go to the soulcenter.online forward slash soul sessions eight, Nicole Burgess. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Soul Sessions podcast. Loved this episode? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. To learn more about how you can befriend your body, feelings, mind, and soul, get Jody's free 65 page ebook at the soulcenter.online. Until next time.